Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, um, Final Four weekend, man. Always a, a great time, but a bittersweet time for a college basketball hoophead. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 sad that it's coming to an end a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I I, I just kind of want uh, want more games. I I would say I'm not on the side of uh, uh, of wanting tournament expansion. Um, I mean, if it happened, I will watch more games with a smile on my face. But I'm not totally for it. But then it gets to this time. It's uh, with a couple days, or you know, most of the week without games. Final four coming up, and the season is uh, is just about over. So uh, that is that is sad from a from a game standpoint. As as uh, of course, um, the portal is is now keeping things very interesting. A lot later into uh, the college basketball season than uh, than things were in the past. So at least that's going to provide some content, which is uh, good for our show. That's for sure. So I have a question. You did this. Uh, you've done a couple of series of incredible threads on Twitter. Everybody check out Eric's Twitter. Um, if you're listening to this show, you're probably really well familiar with it. But hey, maybe you stumbled upon us for the first time because it's Final Four weekend and you're just checking out basketball podcasts. Um, were there any like concepts offensively that you saw in the women's game and you were just like, whoa, that is awesome? Because I um, saw that thread. Yeah, I just did, did women's today after doing, you know, I, I it, was, it was one of those things where I had the idea that I was going to do one set from every game or start from every team in the first round of the NCAA tournament. It was way more work than I expected it to, to do. I mean, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, like I always watch every minute of every NCAA tournament game. But like, really, you don't because, you know, there's overlap. You, you find yeah. you know, one or two games to attach yourself to in the window when there's four games on. But uh, this is the first time I can comfortably say I've watched every single uh, NCAA tournament game, which meant a, a whole lot of basketball um, to, for that. But uh, so I did one after each day. And 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 then I and the, the entire time also knowing I was going to do the women's the women's game. So um wish Florida was there for sure. They're not. Um, but they're still uh, um it was it was interesting too, just watching some of the women's game and seeing where 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 the Gators need to get to um, as a program. But um, I, I think the biggest thing watching watching women's basketball is just how much less one on one play there is, uh, and just uh, looking at, at at how much more ball movement, player movement uh, there kind of is, as as opposed to um, even looking at and and again we can get into some of the. Uh, some of the interesting kind of trends of, of the men's game, but uh, it, it, it very much looks like a different game in the sense of there's so much more structure in, in the women's game. Um, it's not really as good enough, I think just to create um, one bad closeout where in, at the men's level, oftentimes you just want one bad closeout and that might be what uh, kind of starts the dominoes to kind of create something. So um, I, I would say the team that I enjoyed watching the most was Ohio state. And, and I'll be honest, I'm not a, women's basketball expert so someone who is that's listening to this might be like oh of course or might like so i i just i hope i'm not saying anything that's too blatantly obvious um but but um ohio state running a lot of a lot of uh some of the like lesser known kind of princeton sets um and like scissor action that people will remember if they've listened to the show back to Ooh, this feels like forever ago where Carrie Blackshear committed to the Gators and Buzz Williams used scissor action for Nikhail Alexander Walker. And who I'm blanking on that other really good guard they had. Um, anyways, blanking on the, on his name, but they had those two really good guards and then Carrie Blackshear, they'd throw the ball into him and then they had, they would run, um, 
kind of cutting off of him at the just behind each other. So like one guy would run to the left of Kerry Blackshear, one would run to the right. So it kind of was like scissors kind of running in, in these V cuts off the post. So I, I really like how the, how they worked out of that. And then as well as how they turned their kind of point series stuff into, into staggers and, and, and back screens. I thought that was, uh, I thought it, it was really interesting to see how, how much Princeton is still alive in the women's game and how structured they are out of it and how, how they get so much deeper into progressions of kind of traditional Princeton offense um, versus the men's game where the Princeton is, is there in a lot of ways, but it's kind of like what we talked about with, with like the Gators, for example, where it's like, okay, throw it into Colin Castleton, pin on it to dribble handoff. And that's it. That's the end of our, kind of structure and i'm not even saying that as a you know people know we've been critical of florida's offense i i don't even say that that's that's a lot of teams that's san diego state who's in the final four right now who does just that um so yeah i would just say that was that was one of the the biggest takeaways i will say from watching more women's uh, college basketball in the last few weeks than probably i than i ever have at any other point did you catch any of uh it was justin robinson was the other just robinson today. I was gonna say I was gonna say Justin Robinson, and then and then I'm like, no, that was that big uh, physical wing from Virginia, and then I was like, wait, no, that was Justin Anderson. So, anyways, yeah, that was my thought yeah. process right there. <laughs> yeah, they had, so it was one of those ways that they, yeah, they used the scissor action to feature, yeah, those two really good downhill driving guards in the Carrie Blackshirt. Yeah. Um, did you catch any of the women's McDonald's game? This is like deep guts. I did not. I did not watch any of the men's either. I didn't watch any of the uh, any of the high school stuff, unfortunately. So I'm curious if you have anything to to say from that, as if you did watch it. I mean, I I, I did like I kind of gave away my take uh, on the FBH Twitter account, but like I watched the McDonald's game for the men. I did not see um, who's the UF women recruit. I think it's Layla Anderson, who's the McDonald's All American that that's coming to Florida. But I did not um, catch her. Uh, I did catch the men's game or a good portion of it, Eric. And yeah, I mean, I kind of came away with the impression that like Gigi Jackson would clearly have been the number one pick in the draft if he had not reclassified. And then I started thinking about how like some people were kind of tough on Gigi Jackson this year, Um, especially on broadcast. It was just weird. They're like, ah, he's not totally committed defensively. And, and, just reminding me that he had just turned 18 years old and like was 26 months younger than Brandon Miller, uh, who, you know, was the best freshman in the country and is, I mean, we haven't even talked about the final four. We can, if you want, I mean, just stunning how Alabama got eaten alive by my boys. Um, you know, even I was surprised and I think I'm, you know, I all but have a San Diego state basketball flag on my car. And uh, I did not see any of that coming. But, I mean, like, Bronny was good, and there were some good players in that game. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of guys that really need some college and some seasoning. No, it's a a good point. I know a lot of people are talking about – the next year being a, a weaker draft. And I do think that's very relevant to Florida fans um, as it relates to the, the Riley Kugel conversation, um, whether or not he's going to leave now or uh, maybe try to get a better in a better position. And, and of course, a lot of the discourse as well, not Florida related, just basketball related is, is, is Bronny James and some people's saying, Oh, he's going to be a top 10 pick and other people saying there's no universe where he's a top 10 pick. And uh, the answer might be closer to what people think just because of, um, this is just does not look to be a banner um, year for, for talent. So um, I didn't like actively not watch the McDonald's all American game. I just 
didn't didn't have the wasn't watching it live was watching watching some other stuff instead um right. refreshing refreshing the transfer portal every you know 20 minutes you know how it is and uh so didn't i, I will i'll probably go back and 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 watch it as well as like what i do to like run back and watch like the college all-star game from the final four and the three-point contest dunk contest and all that so i'll watch it at some point but that is interesting to um to hear and of course i mean it seems like it's been several years of the mcdonald's all-american game not being particularly great basketball and it's funny because the game kind of has a reputation for in recent years for not being great and then what has happened as well is that a lot of these guys have not gone on to the college level and been instantly as good as people thought so is there something to be said about that um potentially but uh you know it's like you said it was good to um it was good to see that there was some uh, uh, some 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 Florida content in the women's game. We look forward to the next time we get a Burger Boy that's uh, that's uh, that's going to the Gators. Um, but right now, it's it's the women who are of course recruiting um, really well. They also just got that really high five star who's probably going to be a McDonald's All American, Liv McGill. Yep. So yeah, shout mm-hmm. out to her. Shout out to Tyler Crenshaw, who's a big fan. And uh, yeah, so it's good to see that there are some um, some really good talent that they're getting on the women's side. I know they just lost a big name um, to the transfer portal as well which is just devastating because i know we have people that follow the show listen to the show that want more women's content and truthfully i think we'd love to uh to give more women's content it's it's just it's it's a lot of bandwidth to to cover both this team and and the women's team but we'd love to do more more content that i thought this would maybe be the year where um where you know early it was looking like maybe the women would have a chance to make the ncaa tournament and the men wouldn't um i thought hey maybe that'd be a great time for us to really get in um but hey go on an nit run that's good but uh yeah the the women are recruiting well good to see some 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 high level recruits there and uh um i don't know i'm not i I've, i haven't watched the women's game in, in the last few years so i'm not sure if their style of play is uh, is a little bit better but i know that there's been a um sounds like a few disappoint well i did watch this is the first mcdonald's all-american game i haven't watched in, in a couple of years but um they haven't been great and i heard this one wasn't great either yeah no it really wasn't uh terrific that's for sure but you know um maybe
All right. Okay. So I'll have some things to edit. No big deal. Yeah, it was like around the 10 minute, 15 second mark. If you want to okay. make a note, I don't know if that's easier, if it's just easier to scrub through and find No, out. that's um, that's per, that's pretty helpful. Uh the yeah, I was gonna say shifting to the transfer portal, Florida has I would assume that that well, I shouldn't assume anything. As of right now, there are six Gator players in the transfer portal. I think that's right. Trey Bonham, CJ Felder, Kowasi Reeves, Niles Lane, Jason Jatobo. Who am I forgetting? Oh, I, I think you might have just caught everyone. If if, if oh, people yeah. are screaming at their phones, if not, um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we've we're not, we're not missing an announcement for sure. I just was I was just looking yeah. at the portal while you were, uh, um, while you were while you no. were talking about the names. But yeah, we know that the Gators have a bunch of guys in the portal. Yeah, it's five, I guess. Maybe maybe it's five, not six. Uh, and I'm thinking of North Carolina has six because I just wrote an article about them yesterday. Uh, so Hubert Davis and Todd Golden headed down paths where they're just going to rebuild disappointing rosters uh, through the transfer portal, I guess. Um, Carolina has a guy or two that was in that burger game. Um, Florida obviously doesn't. They do have Thomas Hawk coming in. Uh, we'll see how he fits into things next year. Um, and then the NBA Academy kid. Uh, so there are like a couple freshmen that Florida will add, but um, right now no commitment or anything from Deegan Thomas. And I think the Gators, uh, at least for the time being, are going to have to build the bulk of this lineup in the transfer portal. They started by uh, getting a commitment from EJ Jarvis here as we record on Friday, uh, Final Four Friday, Eric. Yeah, that one came in at noon Eastern. I think that a lot of people expected him to choose the Gators. Um, I forget, don't have the list in front of me. He had a final eight schools. I think it was like Northwestern, Georgia Tech, Cal, um, some you know some good academic institutions, of course. Uh, for those people who don't know, the uh, the Ivy League does not allow graduate students, um, and Jarvis has played three years of college plus. Um, sat out during the COVID year as all Ivy League programs did. So he has one year to play. And if you wanted to play college basketball, he was going to need to transfer because yeah, he wouldn't be eligible. So that's why if you see like half of the Ivy League in the portal, it's not because these guys are, you know, just looking for different situations. A lot of them are graduate transfers who have to transfer um, if they're going to play. So um, yeah, this is one that I think is like, it's an interesting one because I feel like when you look at Florida's takes in the past few years, Everyone has been like, I like pretty exciting, I would say, or at least if nothing else, somewhat polarizing. Um, whereas like Jarvis seems to be the most like universal. Everyone's pretty happy with it for sure. Um, maybe you've seen something different. You're the one with the show account. So maybe you've seen some crazier stuff. Um, but uh, I think the thing with Jarvis is he's got that, uh, got like versatility from a size standpoint. He's athletic. He shoots it a little bit um rebounded okay you know pretty well um could put the ball on the floor a little bit like he just looks like perhaps not someone who the gators are going to feature their offense around nor should they in my opinion but he looks like someone who is going to fit around whoever else they're able to get in the portal and be kind of like i, I would say like the high-end outcome for him is like um, high level role player or like high level glue guy. And while I don't see him being an all SEC player by any stretch, 
Um, I also find it hard to believe that we're in a situation halfway through conference play and he has like five or six DNPs in a row. Like I think he is uh, his kind of like size, athleticism, um, versatility from a skill standpoint uh, makes him makes for a very useful, useful player. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I don't think anybody. I think he's going to have DNPs. I mean, he was he went for twelve seven and a block against Kentucky and that game that Yale played against Kentucky this year uh, at Rupp, and he was undersized uh, in that game at the four. He's not a stretch four. I saw some tweets saying, "Oh, they got a stretch four. That's not what he is. Um, he did make ten of his twenty three point attempts in Ivy League play. Uh, he was one of sorry, three for 12 from the floor in non-Ivy League games. Um, and having taken 42 three-pointers in his career, looks like he's developed up the ability to shoot that shot, but he's certainly not going to shim check it up out there uh, and, and look to Chuck, I don't think. Um, he's be a guy that if he takes a three, uh, he'll be pretty open. Um, you know, I like that he rebounds. And before – the one thing I would say, Eric, is before people kind of poo-poo the idea of a of a Ivy League transfer like a guy like Jarvis, keep in mind that, that Yale was a better team than Florida um, this year by pretty much every possible metric. Bart, go, go to Bartorvik, go to Ken Palm, go to Evan Maya. They were better. And Jarvis was basically a better player than most of the players Florida had. If you look at, like, Evan Maya, I think he was a top 20 portal guy. So the metrics like him, um, which I'm sure had something to do with why the staff liked him. If you want more like fun one-offs that probably don't mean anything, I guess this would be a three-off. But Yale was two and one against Princeton, who just went to the Sweet 16. Um, and Jarvis was really good in two of those games. And I think not coincidentally was not good in one of them. And the one that he happened to not be good in was in the conference tournament when he scored seven points and fouled out. And they lost. Uh, in the other two games, he was excellent, and so Yale was excellent. So I think he was a really key player to James Jones's teams. I really like James Jones. I think he's a very good basketball coach. Um, it will be interesting to see how Todd Golden and this staff deploy him because um, I can probably assure you that James Jones was using him properly. Right. I It's, it's kind of a – like I know that college basketball is always going to be um, somewhat of a niche sport. I know that the regular season of mid-major leagues is never going to lead Sports Center, but like um, one of the things that I don't think people realize, even about how kind of cool Princeton's run was um, to the Sweet Sixteen, is just the fact that like Yale was kind of the better basketball team for um, I will say the entire year, and that's nothing to take away from Princeton. It's just like Yale all year. Yale was ahead in the metrics. Like you said, Yale beat them um, a couple of times, but Princeton got them uh, when it mattered in that Ivy League um, tournament final. And then, of course, went on to go on, on a little bit of a run. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just like, well, you, you saw how good of a team Princeton was. Um, well, yeah, Yale was by the metrics and even head-to-head, -head, other, than, other than the one game that mattered the most, um, was the better team. So, uh, yeah, I, I think – and it's also worth noting that there's been a pretty good history of, of Ivy League transfers – um, working at the high major level, uh, none have really turned into like studs, but they're usually like pretty safe, um, pretty safe transfers. And I think a lot of that too is like almost all of them have been like graduate transfers. Um, but uh, it's 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 a solid league. Um, it's a good league. Um, and if it was 
something else other than the Ivy that was like a name like that, that was kind of in that same realm from a quality standpoint. Um, I think people would yeah see that, see that level as, as, as even better. So yeah, I think that this is like, you know, it's not a, not a home run get for sure, but it's one that I think that, that everyone should be pretty happy with. And, and, and um, you know, can't, not, I'm not trying to say you should get, terribly excited for it this isn't the like is if if he if jarvis is on the gators this year instead of cj felder do the gators make the ncaa tournament eh, maybe um so it's it's uh you, you know it's not like oh absolutely they absolutely would be a different team with him on you know well maybe we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see but uh this is kind of the if if the Gators are going to land some of the, some of the really big name guys um, that are in the portal that are at the top of their list, then I think we can look and say like, wow, this six foot eight, intelligent, athletic shot blocking help side defender um, forward is that can play a little bit of five um, in certain lineups. Like, Oh, this is like the perfect, perfect role guy for, for what the Gators need. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good way to start for sure. No question, but uh, definitely, definitely uh the, the 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 book has not been closed on on how Florida's got a transfer season has gone yet. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean he's a bigger, bulkier, and more athletic kid than one of my former players, Paul Atkinson, who went to Notre Dame and was All ACC from Yale after being what Ivy League Player of the Year. Then they had the COVID season, so um, Atkinson had the two years of eligibility at Notre Dame because he had only played the three seasons at Yale. Um, which I think is the deal with Jarvis. I'm pretty sure, maybe I'm wrong, but he, I think he would have two years of eligibility depending on how the graduate rule works. I'm not sure how the rule works. Eric would know that better than me. Um, but the point being like, you know, Atkinson was a, a pretty solid player. And then this year without him, uh, Notre Dame went from being around a 32 team to being the worst team in the ACC. And they pretty much returned basically everybody else except uh, him and the freshman who went to the NBA. Now, of course, I would say that the freshman that went on to the NBA was a little more important than Paul Atkinson. But um, the point is that these are guys that that certainly can contribute. Um, as Eric said, the Ivy League is a good league. Uh, Jarvis is a very experienced player. He played for a very good coach and a very good program. Uh, and I don't think Florida will have to worry too much about him understanding concepts or, or anything of that nature. He'll be ready to plug and play, and and I imagine that's what he'll do, even if he's a sixth or seventh man. That's the last thing I would say about just kind of where he fits is like I feel like if he is like Florida's starting power forward, that's not like something to be like necessarily ecstatic about. Um, but again, I think he could be like if the Gators land one of their like one of the big center targets, they get one of the big wing targets, and a really good point guard, then again, like you can get excited about Jarvis at the four, but it's just one of those things that like, if he starts, it's like, okay, this kid's like has potential to be a superstar role player, or it could be just a solid role player. But it's like, if he comes off the bench, I think it becomes like a player you can get really excited about. Like that's like an awesome player to come off the bench. So a little bit of a tweener in, in, in that sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say if you're Malik Grady doing depth charts on Twitter right now, I'm sure he's going to, well, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I'd imagine that, uh, Jarvis is probably the the starting four with, of course, many, many spots uh, to fill on the roster right now. Yeah, I'm sure that that's where uh, Malik has him. I haven't seen any of his uh, his stuff on it since the commitment. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the portal, the portal is still filling up, as we saw, like, this week with Caden Shedrick, 
big fella from Virginia hopped in there. Um, I think Hunter Dickinson went in there right before we hit record. Yep. Uh, oh, there he is. Okay. See, I, I should have been like Eric and just pulled this stuff up. So I would say Hunter Dickinson probably has become the number one player in the portal uh, immediately, even though I might like, like for what Florida's roster might be, I might like Kid and Shedrick better. Um, just depending on like, assume Riley Kugel comes back, then I might like Kid and Shedrick better. Um, and there are reasons for that. Uh, that I can get into. I did want to talk about we and we had a bunch of listener questions about Walter Clayton asking us to to kind of break down his game. So I thought we could kind of go there. Yeah, Walter Clayton down to uh, St. John's with, of course, his uh, the coach he just had in, in Rick Pitino um, as and uh, and the Gators. Um, Florida being not you know not exactly the the hometown school, but but pretty close to it. And um, from the reaction that uh, you'd see from all kinds of, uh, of, of current Florida football players, Florida football alumni. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could call it his, his hometown. So, um, really good work from uh, a lot of, yes, a lot of these football players, whether it be current players, whether it be, you know, Ahmad Black, um, a couple of, of alumni, uh, making sure he felt at home, um, in, in Gainesville. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't know until, um, recently Brett Meckler, who we both know posted on the Gator country boards. And I'm sure people know this. I just personally didn't know this. Um, but the Gators did recruit him out of high school, but they recruited him as a football player. Um, so apparently he was a very good football player. Um, he was at one of Florida's camps and, uh, kind of at that point, um, which is interesting. Cause I mean, I did not know this. No. Yeah. So he was, he was like, like seriously recruited. Like he had, of course, had a bunch of high major offers and uh, he went to, uh, he, according to Andrew Spivey, who I asked, uh, who's uh, just football at Gator country. Um, he said that he went to a couple, he went to two Florida camps and was not asked to uh, come back to, to another one. So, you know, had high major offers, but wasn't quite that caliber, which maybe also assisted his, his change over to, to basketball. But yeah, he was like a legit football player to the point that I'm sure there's, if football, you know, loses in the first couple of weeks, someone's going to ask for him to come walk onto the football team or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so that's the long way of saying that, uh, yeah, the Gators do have uh, have a certainly good chance here. Um, he of course played for Rick Pitino, who I have mentioned on this podcast that I think um, is, is probably the best schematic coach in, in college basketball history. Um, and, uh, so obviously he's had good coaching. He has very, very good, um, shooting numbers off the catch, um, has very good range, um, very good attacking off the dribble. Um, I think a lot of people have been referring to him as a point guard to which I would say, sure. Um, but I really do think he's best away from the ball. Someone who's kind of electric <laughs> off ball reversals attacking, um, someone who's off the drill or sorry, off the catch numbers are outstanding, um, strong player. You know, you can kind of see that football player in him with, with the, the physique finishing yeah. on the rim. Um, you know, okay. Pick and roll player. Um, but was mostly used away from the ball, um, at Iona and was very, very good in that role. So, um, you know, could he play point guard in Florida? You know, sure. Um, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, that's ridiculous by any stretch, but, uh, he is a little bit of that, you know, he is only six, two, I believe. Um, so not great size if he necessarily, but he is, you know, built physically, um, if he was a two, but, uh, yeah, some of that, some of that kind of combo guard action where, uh, um, but you can see just kind of with, uh, the, with the production he had with what was a very good Iona team, um, with the shooting ability, um, mixed in with, you know, physical strength, um, really good at coming away with steals, reading passing lanes. Um, yeah, that would be a player that I, um, I think people should get quite excited for if the Gators were to land him. Yeah. A couple, uh, on three projection, 
crystal balls. I guess I don't know if they call theirs the crystal ball or not at on three. I think they're just projections, but he, he has a couple from Florida uh, over St. John's, which I think surprises some people who are pretty convinced he's just going to go play for Rick Pitino. I, I'm not quite as sure that that's the case. Um, he is not big, uh, but I too have been asked, Hey man, is, is Clinton going to be the point guard for Florida or is he going to be a shooting guard to which I answer? Yes. Um, because I think that's the safest answer. Uh, and then um, his rankings are like all over the place. I mean, you look at like the Evan Maya list and I think he's a top 10 transfer. Uh, then I looked at the 24 seven one and they had him at like 43rd behind such players as Koesi Reeves, uh, Chance Westry, TJ Bamba, uh, who are three guys that I would not have ahead of Walter Clayton based on productivity with all due respect to those players. Um, so, I mean, it's just kind of an interesting, uh, it, it, it's almost like beauty is in the eye of the beholder a little bit. Um, but to me, um, he reminds me kind of of a more gifted version of these mid-major guards that Bruce Pearl has brought in. Um, and I think you've seen those guards succeed in SEC play. And I, I think his game would translate fine. Yeah, I think maybe not quite as 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 electric with the ball in his hands as some of those Auburn guards, but I do think like um, from the physicality standpoint, from the mindsets, um, definitely um, similar. And and I think for the Gators to, that are just like very much trying to shoot the ball better, um, getting one of the best kind of off the catch shooters um, out in college basketball, um, that'd be a great way to go. I'm just looking to see, um, according to 24-7 sports, um, so this was back in 2019, the Gators gave him an offer for football and Notre Dame gave an offer for football. Um, but then you start to see um, into 2020, his football offers start to turn more into the like AAC types and not the best teams in those leagues. And then, uh, then he commits to Iona in basketball. So I think that, yeah, maybe someone who's uh pure athleticism had him as a, you know, younger in high school, looking like a high major football player, maybe was not totally um, actualized there. And, uh, uh, but Hey, I'm glad he focused on, 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 on basketball. So um, yeah, it's uh, I, I think um, that's kind of a player that I do think the Gators could, uh, I guess, like build around a little bit. If it was a situation where if Riley Kubel did come back, and Walter Clayton was on the wing with him. That would be a very exciting kind of possibility for sure. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I know that there was a, like a kind of got caught up in a little bit of a dead period where he couldn't, um, couldn't go visit St. John's. So he already vis- visited Florida the other weekend. I think it's like maybe as we speak this weekend or in a couple of days um, that he's going to St. John's um, who have, of course have somewhat of an advantage um, with the coach that Walter Clayton Jr. has already had a lot of success with in, in, uh, in Rick Pitino. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Pitino can seal the deal there. I doubt he wants to lose a player who helped him get to the NCAA tournament. Um. And they actually led UConn, which is kind of hard to believe the way UConn has just been steamrolling people. They were ahead of UConn at halftime, uh, and then the second half happened. Um, So Florida's contact list at this point, I did see Malik say, like, the Gators uh, have contacted some 15 or 10 to 15 more players than they they had last year at this point in time, which – you know, take that for what you will. Mike, there, there are actually more players in the portal right now, but 
that is at least somewhat interesting to me. Uh, players that had visited include Walter Clayton, uh, Claude L. Harris, uh, BJ Mack, um, EJ Jarvis. Uh, those are that's kind of that list of guys who have been on campus. Don't think I'm leaving leaving anybody out. Florida did contact uh, players like Nick Timberlake, who I think uh, is going to head to UNC. Um, Hubert Davis has even more spots to fill than, than Todd. Uh, so <laughs> the Tar Heels are going to be pretty active. Um, some other guys that Florida might keep there. You may want to keep an eye on as the Gators move forward. I saw, you saw Florida had was in Caden Shedrick's final five. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, Micah Hangot, Han Lotkin is another guy that I think Florida will be very interested in. He would be a, a multi-year transfer. Um, Florida, like every other program on earth, contacted Jamarian Sharp. But looks like the Gators are certainly pressing hard to add um, uh, at least one, if not two more, uh, five guys. Eric. What would you think of the Jamarian Sharp? Um, for the people who don't know, um, the seven foot five Western Kentucky center. Um, but he is not like a Zach Eady, seven foot five. He is very, very thin. Um, but was productive at Western Kentucky. What do you think? Like, I, and again, I truly don't know how seriously the Gators are inter- are, are after him. But uh, yeah, I was just curious. What what do you think about about that? Like, like, say, you know, do you think the Gators should go after him or or what? So, like, my thought on that is that I would back off on a player like that and pursue the types of players that different types of players. Like I really like Caden Shedrick for Florida. If Riley Kugel's coming back. And I, I mean, I guess I, we don't, I don't do many hot takes. Eric's Eric's going to roll his eyes either during the show or off camera at my rare hot take here. I think Riley Kugel will be back next season. Um, I don't think that he's going to quite have the NBA positioning that he wants he may go through that process to get that feedback. I'm not even sure with the support system he has around him that he needs to do that, though. Uh, there are a lot of really plugged-in people around Riley Kugel, and he may not know. Um, my only real risk with him would be whether or not he goes portaling, to be honest, and he hasn't done that yet. Um, that's just the sense I get, which is a little different. It puts me in a little different spot than I was a couple weeks ago, but I think Riley Kugel will be back. So I'm looking at a Florida program that's like building around – Riley Kugel is a ball dominant guard who misses 55% of his shots. Right. And so if that's what Riley Kugel is, then get me a Caden Shedrick who could eat on the glass. Get me an EJ Jarvis who averaged seven rebounds a game. Just go and get me these rebounders. And then maybe you get a guy like a Handlockin or someone of that nature. Who's kind of a more long-term big Eric, um, you know, and then you don't necessarily have to feed anyone in the post. Uh, You're not going to have to do that with Shedrick for sure. Um, And you're really just like, how many misses can we clean up? And I also think like that while Todd Golden is a defensive coach, you know, I mean, his two San Francisco teams that were good were really good on the offensive glass. And that's why their offensive efficiency numbers were pretty decent. And I think Florida has to, you know, that's a model that Todd clearly knows and, and he should lean into that. That's just my, I don't know how much of that was a hot take blending into a rather reasonable one, but I guess that's Florida basketball hour. Yeah, well, we also saw 
Kentucky's offense somehow be technically efficient despite their first shot offense being bingo, terrible. bingo. Uh, the ultimate example of love, like or like San Diego State right now. Not that their offense is 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 lighting up any efficiency numbers, but uh, um, yeah, it it can be ugly. But if you get four shots off and, and one possession, the fourth goes in. Doesn't matter how ugly it is. That's a very successful, technically efficient offensive out or uh, offensive possession. So, um, yeah, I, I Caden Shedrick reminds me almost like uh, of of Colin Castleton when he committed to the Gators from uh, um, from Michigan. Um, he played more at Virginia than than Colin Castleton did at Virginia, but like. Um, I, I guess I, I I mean that like Shedrick reminds me defensively of Colin Castleton, um, kind of similar frames, um, kind of like the the way that like Shedrick uh, within that Virginia system really aggressively hedges pick and rolls, so he's got that uh, kind of ability to cover space. Um, offensively, there's not a ton there. I'm fairly limited, um, but I think everyone would be like if the Gators were to have their scoring um, punch on the perimeter and their front court could be really good defensive guys, shot blockers, rebounders. Um, that would be a, uh, that'd be a great recipe in my mind. So um, I've got nothing to say or add on the Riley Kugel situation, but uh, I think people should be very excited by your, your take <laughs> and, uh, and, and hope he comes back because that would uh, very much um, change my perception of this team. And I'm sure it would for, for a lot of people as well. Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, I haven't, and I got a couple questions about like tampering and what's going on with that. And, there's a lot of rumors and innuendo and stuff about Kugel out there. And I just think that none of that is very safe to comment on, but my, you know, I, Eric Fawcett's kind of draft analysis. Uh, I trust more than most, but then I look at other draft analysis as well. And it's all about the same place that Eric's is. This is a very strong draft. So, you know, I try to keep my hot takes at least backed by some sort of data uh, rather than just vibes. Um, you know, when I wrote in February that Miami would go to the final four on uh, Saturday road, I got a lot of people that, that made fun of me on Twitter <laughs> and stuff and said, I was just vibing. And I said, no, I'm not really vibing, man. I'm just watching basketball. Uh, and they're in the final four. Um, I did not think they would do what they did to Houston. Uh, <laughs> that was surprising to me. The Texas result was not. In fact, the only thing surprising me about the Texas game was that they got behind by 12 points. Um, mm. once they kind of woke up, uh, and started like, stop feeling like they had to get Omir touches underneath. It was like, oh, okay. Uh, Texas is in a lot of trouble. Um, and they were, um, but I don't know. It'll be interesting that like that game, uh, Saturday is going to be spectacular and, and we can get into that. I wanted to answer a couple of these Patreon questions. We had one from Mark Lewis who asked, uh, given that I've only learned about basketball analytics in the last couple of years, I have a basic question. When I look at a comparison, actual stats like points per game for and against shooting percentages on the Gator website, this year's stats were remarkably similar to last year, yet the Ken Palm comparison is not as favorable. If results are similar and results are what's important, why would the Ken Palm analytics be different? Interesting. Yeah, do you want to do you want to start? Do you want to take that one? I mean, it's kind of a tough question to answer. Look, I think uh, to some extent that wow, the stats look similar. They aren't completely similar. Uh, Florida was a better three point shooting team last year, for example. Um, the strength of schedule schedule metrics. I know that there was a lot of chatter about Florida playing a really 
brutal schedule this season. Well, they played a brutal schedule last year. Uh, so Florida had that kind of efficiency bump. Um, and then the other thing was that Florida had one particularly explosive scorer last year at the guard position who wasn't just a catch and shoot player in Tyree Appleby. So Florida's offensive efficiency numbers were a little bit better and you kind of have to plug in his numbers. If you look at last year's stats vis-a-vis this year's ones. So this will be like the subtle differences between like where Florida was last year, which is around 58 or 59. And this year where I think they finished 75th, which would be, I don't know, one of the worst finishes for the program in the Kimpom era. Yeah, and like there's the results still do do matter. And of course, um last year the Gators were able to pull out some of these closer games. That wasn't yeah, and a winning record. Um the Gators didn't really get blown out much last year. They got their doors blown off a couple times this year, and that's something that um whenever talking about any metric, particularly the the net, um, but of course anything that's that's predictive like like Ken Palm or, or Torvik um T rank as well. Um those those uh kind of those those will matter um is, is as well from just like an, an efficiency standpoint and um i i like the reason i was like neil do you want to take those questions was because i was kind of floored by the the idea that that a bunch of you know florida's um shooting numbers look the same um but again i would just i would I, w- I would encourage you to go look at some different numbers look at true shooting look at a, um effective field right percentage and just just factor in some of those differences um between between two and three um because that would uh, that would really help like still just as you get more into analytics because because i forget who said asked this question so i'm talking mark lewis mark lewis says that yeah um, as you get more into this like and, and start to learn more um start to learn yeah the the, the differences um the differences there and uh and then as well just things like uh you know, turnovers forced and, and, and rebounding where of course uh, both teams like struggle, both teams really struggled uh, to rebound, but last year's Florida team got a lot more often offensive rebounds than this year's team. Um, I think last year's team was like somewhere around 70th and this team was somewhere in the three hundreds. Um, so again, that goes back to our previous conversation about offensive rebounding um, where um, if, you know, even if shooting percentages um, were similar, last year's team was going to get a lot more opportunities to, to score in extra possessions because of those offensive offensive rebounds. So um, yeah, it's a, uh, there's always going to be some, you know, I'll say mystery related to these metrics, but as you see that Ken Palm is really close to the net, Torvik's a little bit different, but there's a, there's not as many outliers as there used to be or in the, uh, the RPI world. Um, so you can kind of, you, you know, you really can see how, how some of these things are, are stacked up and measured. Um, before we do the final two Patreon questions, let me remind everybody that the Florida Basketball Hour podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, and rewards, while athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles. That's NIL the way it was intended to work, folks. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member in Locker Mania, Visit Gatorverse.io. That's Gatorverse.io. The next question came from Ryan Big. Who could be this year's Suli Boom in the transfer portal and lead a team to the Sweet 16? Oh, man. That's a – well, I mean, not not to, like, completely um, disagree with uh, 
the the, the premise of the question, but uh, it's kind of interesting because, of course, Sule Boom was um, very good during the regular season. Um, didn't exactly uh, lead his team um, through to a D. He did not. And sadly, he did not play very well in the NCAA tournament, which, again, I think they got just, they got the seed because of him, probably. Yes. They, so I guess it's like one of those things like he did. He did lead them to the seed. Um, but, uh, um, you know, I'll, I'll say this, like the, the reason that I thought he was someone who is one of the best um, transfers um, available, why I really wanted the Gators to get him. Um, was because I think that his all of his shooting off movement numbers, um, off the dribble, um, his pick and roll efficiency. Um, to be honest, a, a lot of the like I haven't really looked at a lot of these top guards, which is kind of interesting because like obviously the Gators have reached out to some some guards. Um, they have reached out to um, you know Walter Clayton is 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 of course like. Uh, um, Walter Clayton is of course like a, a guard that I, I don't want to say putting a lot, like a lot of their eggs in that basket. Cause there's going to be lots of players available. Um, but I think that um, it's, it's, it's not like the Gators have, have been after a ton of the like top guards. And I've almost liked that they've shown some restraint with the like five foot 10, five foot 11, 155 pound gunners um, from, from kind of some of these smaller leagues. So I, I do think that that's something that, um, is, is kind of interesting, but I'm looking at players who have kind of electricity um, that are going to be able to um, create shots and, and shoot really effectively off the dribble. Um, so I think like, you know, I, I, what it, Oh, I, I'm blanking on his name right now. What was the player you mentioned that already is, has visited the Gators. I'm truly blanking on his name. Harris. Claude L. Harris. Claude L. Harris. Um, sorry, just completely blanking. Claude L. Harris is a player that I, I, I haven't done my kind of toll whole deep dive into, um, but he is someone who's just like has a lot of electricity with the basketball um, six, three and skinny. So he's not like, you know, there's going to be probably some questions about his kind of ability to work at the high major level. Um, I don't think he's a big time finisher at the rim, but his ability to create plays in space, to get to his jump shot, to hit shots off the dribble. Um, like those are the numbers I'm looking at when I'm looking at who's going to kind of work at the next level if they go up to the high major level and if you're looking at who's going to like you know potentially lead a team in march um you know like it wasn't quite sule boom but i see a, i see some of that in, in harris for sure so i i should be careful saying that because i haven't totally finished my like breakdown of his of his skills and and, and watch as much film as i would have liked but on like on first watch he he has a lot of the traits that that i would desire out of a guard I like it. I like it. So our last question from a Patreon comes from Aaron Walloff. What up, coach? Uh, who asks, which of the following three players would you pick if you could only have one from the transfer portal? Care Creesa. Oh, man. Khalil Ware. Or Darian Williams. Uh, so for those who don't know, Darian Williams is a... Uh, was a very surprising intern into the portal out of Nevada. He went to Bishop Gorman, which is a powerhouse that Mike White recruited. It was like Mike White's holy grail. Uh, he tried to get a Bishop Gorman recruit his entire tenure at Florida, and he did at least get a couple of them on campus, and none of them would stay. Um, but he would be one. Khalil Ware is a uh, big man, and then Kier Creesa is a guard from Arizona who – I think the theme here from uh, from my man, Coach Waloff, is guys who nobody thought would enter the portal that entered the portal. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, too, because there's, like, a theme and then there's not because with Kirk Carissa, you've got um, uh, someone who is you know, played it for three years. Um, he missed a lot of his, his first year due to injury, but then kind of started yeah. at the end. So, like, really, he's been, like, a, you know, two-and-a-half-year starter, but really has been kind of a, you know, could say three-year starter, um, whereas the other two guys are, are, are freshmen. Um, so, you know, Darren Williams, kind of like a six-foot-six, um, can handle the ball a little bit, um, you know, shot creator a little bit. And then Kellaware, who's just like at Oregon. Um, that was a surprising one because it was like, yeah, everyone kind of thought he was going to go one and done. Um, big time physical athlete, front court, phys- like toolsy kind of guy. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting too, because it's, it kind of goes back even to a question we've had on the podcast of, would you rather go at a young guy with multiple years of, of, team control hypothetically or do you go for the guy who is um you know gonna maybe be the best player that helps you next year and you know what i think that they're at to some extent i'm not you know i think that there there will be some pressure on the gators to probably internal i think that todd golden doesn't want to have a loose season or anything close to it so i'm sure he wants to really compete next year um so like the answer to that might be kirk Risa, but i i think for me um i would go ooh. It's a good question. I would go Darren Williams, number one, someone that I think might be in college for multiple years, but is a six foot six, you know, shot creator, ball handler. Then I'm going Kel Ware, And I think I'm going to try to bank on getting a better point guard than Kirk Risa, who's can be a little bit erratic. I don't know if that's ridiculous. Neil's going to tell me if it is. <laughs> um, so I would go Williams first too. So we're together on that. Um, and I don't think the premise, because Coach Waloff did not put in the premise of the question, like a realistic shot at getting him. And I think Khalil Ware is right. going to Arkansas. So, like, I'm not, like, if Eric Musselman fans on him, like, I have a bridge in Brooklyn that I own that I can sell you. But um, I would probably put him third behind Kirkarisa, who I see a little bit like Kyle Loftany in the sense that, like, I don't know what his actual like ceiling is. Like he's fine, except he's more erratic than Kyle often, but he also played a better league. The other thing Kyrkisa did was play like lots of ball continuity. Cause like Tommy Lloyd brought that from Gonzaga to Arizona and then they played it and it worked pretty good in the conference of not champions. Um, but the conference of not champions conference USA is now the conference of champions. And um, at least in my mind and now uh you know, he's in the portal. And I think that's kind of surprising. And like, if Todd Golden wants to play ball continuity, then like Kyrgyzstan would make a lot of sense. Right. Um, Cause he knows that system and he knows how to play that spot. But I still feel like for me, um, I would want Darian Williams. Cause I like the ceiling more. I like all that eligibility he has. Um, and then I think Khalil Ware, like let's assume that that went totally right. Like he comes to Florida and everything goes well like you probably get a really good year out of that. And I think Todd Golden needs a really good year, but I also think that means like Khalil Weir is gone. Like he's not a guy who could come in, play really well, and then be like a multi-year player. Like if he plays well, he's headed to the NBA. I mean, I think my fear with him, and again, now we're, we're getting so deep into a hypothetical of three players that I'm pretty sure Florida has not and will not approach. Um, but the thing is with Wary, he's almost one of those guys that I think might go to the league next year, regardless of if he has a good year or not, because even if he doesn't have a great yeah. year, it's like he better go and try to get a two-way or get in the G League and get an Exhibit 10. Like, 
before he's got, you know, zero opportunities. So that's another thing. But um, I, I like the the premise of the question, if we can really tie it back to not just college basketball, but Florida basketball um, is, is yeah, like how much, if you're Florida, do you weigh um, in the portal this year? Because you can see it um, with, you know, hand locked in as well as a perfect example. Um, we've said his name a few times, seven foot one from Marshall. And he just, uh, just played his first year of college basketball um, and was just like, has like ridiculous shot blocking and rebounding numbers. Um, so that's someone who's um, like, how much do the Gators prioritize that guy who was in a good Sunbelt league? Marshall was really good. And he had 10 rebounds a game and two blocks. Um, how, how much is Florida go at that guy who might be, who might give three years of, of really good production and, and maybe be an all SEC guy by the end. Um, but isn't a guy you'd that wouldn't be as good as Caden Shedrick next year. Like it, it just like, that's, what's going to be genuinely interesting for the staff. And it looks like, you know, the Gators are going to have multiple projecty young guys on the team. Um, I don't know when we're going to graduate Alex Shimchik from project to just a guy. Um, Never. Able to play. <laughs> um, and then Alex Condon, I would put into the project category, though he just got a real nice bump in the recruiting rankings. Um, I'll just call him a project guy based on the film I've watched and what I've heard about him until proven wrong, but I would happily be proven wrong even before next season starts. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just kind of feel like the Gators are, might lean a little bit more to guys that, that are going to help them um, right now. So I wonder if you actually did present this this to the to the Gators right now, if they would put a Kirk Creasa first. And honestly, if they did, even though I put Kirk Creasa last, I would not – like I wouldn't argue that. Like I like again, it might – someone might think, oh, I put him last. So if someone put him first, that I would think that's stupid. No, not at all. If someone said, hey, we're going to just hit a single or – maybe a double and, and get an experienced point guard um, who's played a lot of big games because Arizona has been good. Um, you know, that's, that's still smart. I just think I'm going at kind of the, the midway point um, with the six, six this, the, the wing, the biggest kind of premium position um, who's shown flashes of, of a big time shot making and playmaking already. Yeah. And I would add that um, coach Waloff, uh, uh, Oh, the only one of the guys that he mentioned that Florida's contacted is Darian Williams. So, oh, I didn't even take, know that. <clears throat> take that for what you will. Uh, yeah, Williams uh, has been contacted by a bunch of different schools, but the three SE schools that have contacted him are Arkansas, Florida, <laughs> Arkansas, baby. <laughs> I wonder who their portal guy is. Like, they got multiple dudes on multiple. phones, they got yeah. multiple portal guys, <laughs> multiple guys just on phones. Like, oh, that guy hit the portal, call him up. Yeah, but their uh, their portal, Darian Williams' portal contacts are Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Florida. Um, boy, he looks like a Buzz Williams player when I watch him play. Mm. Um, like just – actually, that's actually kind of frightening. Um, so I hope he doesn't go to Texas A&M. Uh, and, yeah, so that's, that's interesting. And, I mean, Eric brought up a really good point for like a guy who Florida is targeting, which is a nice little transition there, would be like – uh, the Dutch kid from Bradley who has two years of eligibility remaining. Like, how do you evaluate him necessarily, you know, when you know the Florida needs a, a guy that, that can score a little bit, you know that they need a guy who can rebound a little bit, and you really want to get somebody from a mid-major that, um, uh, that can play at the high-major level, both from a size standpoint and from, like, a decent good league standpoint. And, like, that – uh, Mast is, is certainly that player, Eric, because, you know, Missouri Valley is a good league and, um, 
he's kind of played all over the floor there, even though most of his offensive production has been like as a feed to the post, back to the basket guy. Yeah. Before we get into it, I was going to ask I, if, if we can, you know, talk for a little bit before we get into this last Patreon question, but like I was going to, that, that's what's interesting too about the Riley Kugel situation <laughs> is um, if they don't get Riley Kugel and they need points, then suddenly, you know, Mast is someone that I think you might become more interesting because I think he's uh, the best scoring front court option the Gators have went after. Um, but uh, I think that um, uh, it's, it's, if, if the Gators do get him, it's like, yeah, they, do they try to go more defensive at the center? I'm, I'm really interested in that. Or do they just go all in on, offense coming off a year where their offense was poor that would be interesting to see so, right so i'm curious uh, what would you, what would your thoughts be on like say you you mentioned that if you uh you know if riley kugel comes back you would like caden shedrick if he comes back what would you what would you think about mast and also um do you get shades of of carrie blackshear at all in the sense of um you know, the Gators got exactly what we expected from Kerry Blackshear several years ago. Good, but not great offensive numbers, not great defense. And that didn't appear to be a way to win um, at the high major level um, in the modern age. Does that scare you at all about someone like a Riet mask? Oh, it's so funny. You mentioned that because that was uh, going to be like, I'm, I have to do a Saturday down South, like portal targets article for after the final four. And that's like one of my things about reading mass is like, I feel like if Florida signed him, Eric, they would get a guy who shoots about 55, 56% from the floor. Doesn't take a lot of threes, but when he does, he makes some of them probably 30 to 35% of them gives him about 15 points and eight rebounds a night. Like, I think that's what you're going to get. Like you're not going to ever, he's not going to be a first team all SEC. Um, but I think, you know, is he a steady power six starter? Yeah, probably. I think so. Um, is that would that satisfy Florida fans when they see like Rian Kamaskavis to Florida and everybody's like, oh, Florida grabbed one of the better players in the portal? Like they did, but he kind of is who he is at this point, don't you think? Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. And it's it's interesting. Like if I had to say, like, if if as we record the podcast, there's a uh, a, a Tipton bomb, I, I guess, would be the the the, the bomb of college basketball transfers. Um, yeah, would if it, that that he committed to the Gators, like like I would be, like like I'd be happy to see it. Um, but there would be, of course, like some some just some inherent risk. And uh, I think, of course, when you look at uh, and, and I do think Neil, once the NCAA tournament is over, and we almost started talking about it at the top of this podcast, and then went to the women's game. Um, kind of takeaways um it, like if there's anything that the gators can learn from from this ncaa tournament or teams that went far or and maybe there is maybe there's not we'll talk about that but um yeah there's not a lot of uh big time offensive centers um left um in fact a lot of teams that rely on their centers as a primary offensive initiator um went home earlier than expected and mm-hmm. um are those players yeah. actually as good as offensively as people thought? Um, we can argue that as well, but um, yeah, it's going to be a question that the Gators may have to answer um, because yeah, it's, this is a, uh, that's one of the guys they're after. Well, let's close with uh, the final four. So Miami, UConn, give me the breakdown. I wrote a breakdown at Saturday road. My prediction was uh, I encourage people to read that. You don't need to hear me talk about this game again. Um, my prediction was Connecticut 77, Miami 74. I think it's going to be one of the all time classic final four games. 
Yeah, I hope so. Um, and I, I feel like the smart money is is on banking on that because if you were to say, oh, the favorite's going to win comfortably um, for a lot of these games, this NCAA tournament, you would be proven wrong. Um, but I I don't I, I I don't think Miami keeps it close. I think UConn wins it somewhat comfortably. Um, but I there is certainly a uh, recipe to Miami winning this one. Like, or I was going to say keeping it close, but really it's recipe to, to winning. Um, I do think they've got the more electric guards and, and guys that can create shots. So I could see a situation where UConn is up by 12 to 15 for much of the game. And there's just a big shot making surge that, that, that brings the hurricanes back into it. Um, I just think that that, uh, that, that size that UConn has is just too much for uh, a smaller Miami team. That's, um, you know, small in length, um, but pound for pound, pretty strong. Um, no, nor Chad O'Meara, of course, like not like I feel like people a lot of people don't realize how small he is, for lack of a better term, because he is yeah. so physical. He's been so good on the glass, um, but he doesn't have a lot of length. And uh, there's just so much um, so much size in the front court for for UConn. And uh, they've just been bludgeoning teams. I think they beat everyone by double digits on this this route. And, uh, um, you know, Dan Hurley is a guy that I think we've even laughed a little bit at, uh, about um, on this podcast at times. Um he was someone that uh, the Gators had some interest in um, when they had a coaching mm-hmm. opening. And, and I think we talked about, Hey, this is a guy who has not been able to put together good offenses and he has not been able to keep his composure in big games. Well, he brings in Luke Murray um, to handle the offense. Their offense is suddenly spectacular. Um, actually that's it. Well, this is another thing we want to talk about. I will say yeah. this quickly. So, you know, UConn was a team that really struggled offensively. And they brought in Luke Murray, who completely changed what they did. And now they're a beautiful offensive team. So just to show yep. the power of, of what um, that can do. And, of course, a lot of people are going to say, like, and and I've been saying it, too, when I tweet out their plays, like, oh, look at Dan Hurley, like, great set. Dan Hurley's, like, running some great stuff. Um, it's they, they have actually two assistants that that primarily do the offense. Um, but Luke Murray's one of them, and they're doing brilliant stuff. And honestly, to be honest, like, I just – I actually do love seeing Dan Hurley look like – a million times more chill than he ever has in his coaching career um, going through this. But this is my, that's my long way of saying I I've got, if you said, I think you said UConn 77, 74, I'll go UConn 77 to 68. I, I, I think they're going to, to handle this one. And I'm, I, I hope I'm wrong. Cause at this point I, I want to see some, some excellent games. Yeah, no, I mean, I can, the, let me, I, I said, I didn't, have anything much to add about this other than read my article. I mean, one thing I think that Miami presents that's a little different than anything UConn's face and Eric alluded to the, to the great guards, but I also think, you know, they present a singular matchup problem for UConn, which UConn hasn't really had a matchup problem in the tournament, right? They were much more athletic and full of pros compared to St. Mary's. They were much more talented uh, and bigger than Iona, um, and they eventually just bullied them, grabbed 14 offensive rebounds in the second half in that game. Um, and then I think, you know, their guards were better than Gonzaga's guards, which has been Gonzaga's problem all season. And then the referees kind of dished a little assist and put Drew Timmy in foul trouble, and that game got away from Gonzaga when they led in the first half. And and so uh, they're really their most impressive win to me was Arkansas. Um just because they didn't have sort of a referee assist and they just bludgeoned Arkansas from start to finish and took away what Arkansas wants to do best. Well, Miami runs better offense than Arkansas. Um, I also think that their guards are better. And then there's the Jordan Miller mismatch, which I think is a really interesting one just because Andre Carabon does not defend very well. And so it will make 
Danny Hurley choose, um, which I'm not sure he's had to do in this NCAA tournament. I'm not saying that that's the end of the world. I'm not saying that, oh, that's kryptonite. UConn can't make the right choice. But, like, if they put Andre Jackson on Isaiah Wong, then that means that Andre Carabon is going to either have to deal with Jordan Miller or um, Nigel Pack, potentially. Uh, the point is that he's going to be on somebody smaller and quicker, and that has given him a lot of problems this year. Now, the flip side of that, Eric, is Danny Hurley could go smaller, but that's probably exactly what Miami wants him to do. Um so you see, like, at least Miami has pieces, mostly because they have this jack-of-all-trades in Jordan Miller, who really is, like, the second coming of Corey Brewer, um, that complicates how you scout them. Uh, but I don't think that if, like, if UConn loses, it's going to be Saturday. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that, that I guess, leads into the second game, Neil. Who's your who's your pick there for the uh, the fighting owls of, of Florida Atlantic and and San Diego State. Oh man, Florida Atlantic's going to the national championship game. Uh, I'm just going to say that right now. Elijah Martin is spectacular. He can finish. Uh, speaking of mismatch problems, you have to guard him with someone bigger because he's so athletic. Uh, the problem is then, like, what do you do to guard John L. Davis, right? Like, uh, San Diego State has a bunch of switchable dudes. I love their three point stunt recover. I've been tweeting about it a ton. I think that's a spectacular scheme against modern three-pointers when you drive you have the the help defender stunt but he only kind of takes one step he faints the help and then he recovers it makes it harder on shooters obviously florida atlantic is pretty shooter reliant but san diego state's still really reliant on like mucking the game up and making things ugly and like vlad the impaler is perfect for that. Elijah Martin is built for that. Like, how do you think they beat Tennessee? And like, that wasn't a fluke. They were just better than Tennessee. And Tennessee is the best program in America right now at hard scrabble, black knuckle, black knuckle basketball. Um, with all due respect to San Diego State, it's been a great run. I just don't think that they have, I think Florida Atlantic has better players. I think they have a better scheme offensively. Um, although I like some of the stuff San Diego State runs, as I've said on this podcast for five years. Um, and I just think eventually they were going to run into somebody that could rebound with them and bang with them a little bit. Um, and, you know, Alabama was surprised that San Diego State punched them in the mouth. Like Alabama didn't handle that well. This Florida Atlantic team is not going to have that problem. Uh, they expect that. Uh, and, you know, so – that's kind of my take on that game. I think Florida Atlantic wins that, I think, fairly comfortably by six or seven, eight points. Yeah, man, give me the hoot of destiny. I think that Florida Atlantic wins. Uh, I think that, uh, like you mentioned, the way that they already handled Tennessee, who plays kind of a similar style, just ducking in, ducking in physicality. Um, they already handled that. Um, now they've got a lot more rest than they do for that game, which is probably going to help with the physicality required. Um, and I, I do think there is something to be said about like while I do think that San Diego state's three point defense, like their ability to defend the three point shot is good. I do truly ascribe to um, that. They have been lucky. Um, I just, again, some of the numbers that I look at, they have get, they 
are generally very good at contesting three-point jumpers and and giving up they'll, so they'll give up a high number of three-point attempts but they're actually pretty well guarded um in the last three games they have been giving up a ton of wide open three-pointers that have not fallen and i think that they are going to do that again and i think the florida atlantic is 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 going to hit them uh i i think that like it's it's interesting i know some people have been talking about like oh you can't call florida atlantic a cinderella because really they played like a top 25 team for a lot of the season um but then you can also look at like the facilities and and the program be like man this this has to be um you know this has to be uh, their gym holds two thousand people i i heard an outrageous story um that i that i confirmed um that i have to say and then i'll stop playing around this podcast so um i don't know if people know this or have heard about this I love but it. um there is um there's so there's like actually like a forum like it looks like it it, it truly looks like a message board like if you're gonna go like rip on Billy Napier or Todd Grantham or whatever, like one of those message boards. And it's exclusively for division one basketball coaches to go and schedule non-conference games. So like literally you could go and be like, like Todd Golden could go and fire up and say, Hey, I've got these dates available. Um, I can give you this much money. Who wants to come to Gainesville and get bought? And that's like, I don't think Florida staff is doing that because they're probably being more tactical, but if you're a team that doesn't really matter or um, whatever, you can literally go on a forum and say, Hey, we need a game here who's available. And if you're, it's, it's more common with, with mid-major teams who, who need to buy games or sorry, who need to get bought. They can say, Hey, we'll come here. Hey, we're already on the road here. Is anyone in, you know, the Southwest of So, uh, so this forum exists and February of this year, Florida Atlantic was on the, was on the forum trying to get bought for next year. So as of a couple, a couple of months ago, Florida Atlantic was still looking to see if they could get paid to come play road games next season. Um, so if that tells you anything about where Florida Atlantic is as a, as a program, like, like you said, talking about their gym, um, talking about their you know like talking about their budget their kind of support staff situation and it's like this is literally a team that in january was on these college basketball forums trying to see if anyone would buy them well i would like to say to whatever assistant coach was on the forums um no one is going to want to buy you next year um florida atlantic so good luck with that but luckily you're going to have a lot more money and you're going to be buying games so uh um that's that's just you know a crazy story about where things are at for, for florida atlantic but um yeah i i think that um their offense is just so much more dynamic. I think they're going to come in with yeah. a good plan. And I think with all the rest, they're going to be ready for the physicality of, of, of San Diego state. Yep. I love it. I love it. Give Jim Laranego a week to prepare too. Uh, that's another reason I think Miami keeps that thing close. Um, you know, it's a reason the guys won 750 games. Uh, and it's not all because he has a lot of shoe money. Um, so that's kind of our show. I will let Eric send us away. All right, thank you for the questions, everyone who sent into uh, to the Patreon. We uh, we appreciate you. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.